0: Welcome to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere with your host Chris Parker.
1: And hello, we are back with Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere. This is Chris Parker, and I have Mike Lingle on. He's coming in from the U.S. Uh, we are both part of the OpenEXO community. The you know community global community of over 6,000 people, exponential thinkers and doers, and I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit. And I'm really interested to hear about Rocket Proforma, which is Mike's uh, organization that that uh, helps startups uh, with, the, I think, they're, 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 they're for financial planning and, and preparing to uh, get equity and, and uh, financial support. I'm really fascinated to hear about that and the other things that Mike has been working on. So, Mike, Thank you so much for joining. Can you please, uh, for myself and, and for the audience, share what do you do, Mike? So, so what is it that you do? And why do, you do, why do you do what you do?
0: Right. Uh, so I am a uh, former software developer turned entrepreneur. Uh, and I have built a few different businesses, um, one of which had an exit, which was great. So then I started working with other entrepreneurs trying to give back and uh, have run a few accelerator programs, started creating all kinds of content and templates and stuff to help uh, other folks. I guess trying to help them avoid the mistakes that I made along the way. That's really uh, part of what I'm doing. I I was speaking to someone the other day and they said, uh, most people start businesses to solve problems for their past selves. Mm. I thought was a pretty good, uh, pretty good way of looking at it. And so in my work with entrepreneurs, which I've been doing for, I don't know, I guess almost 10 years now, I keep seeing two main problems. One is, you know, people don't understand the customer or the market as well as they should. I think most entrepreneurs are pretty good with the product or service that they're creating. Mm. They might be a little fuzzy on the customer and then they're a lot fuzzy on their numbers. So that's the second big problem. Mm. They don't really understand the numbers. They don't really understand the finance piece of it because they're usually coming at it from a product. Uh, perspective and so that leads to problems because finance is actually the foundation of business uh, and that's the language you need to learn to speak at least a little bit you know you don't have to be fluent you don't have to be an accountant Mm -hmm. you don't have to work on wall street but you got to be good enough that you can run the business Um, especially if you're going to go ask someone else for money there needs to be a plan around what happens with that money Mm -hmm. right Um, you know what are the expenses what's the hiring uh plan What's, what are the revenues going to look like? How are we going to generate the revenue? There's just some thinking that needs to happen. So similar to you, you mentioned that um, you, know, you were trying to figure out when COVID hit, how, how do I help the most people? Uh, that was my thought process with Rocket Performa. So I launched right as, um, on April 1st, basically. So we'd been in lockdown a little while. Mm. And I was looking at this and I was saying this is going to last it's going to last a while and the way I can help people most is by helping them with their numbers because a lot of people are going to need to start businesses or pivot businesses mm-hmm. uh, just because so much is changing and the bottom is dropping out of some industries. Meanwhile, other industries are taking off like rocket ships.
1: Is, is there something that, um, because not everyone, once they've learned these precious skills, <laughs> not everyone would turn it around and give it back to the community? Sometimes they would jump into new, new organizations or corporates and, and sort of hoard that knowledge for themselves because it's, it's very powerful. What, why or what inspires you to, to serve in this way? I'm really really curious. I
0: think I really like the moment when people start companies. I keep drifting back to super early stage companies. Uh, and I just like that mindset. I like those entrepreneurs. Mm. They have a lot to learn, so I can, I can really help them. You know, I feel like I can really make a difference. And I have done some of what you talked about. Um, you know, I've, I've joined organizations and worked from within the organizations, uh, including EXO, you know, as a member of the core team for two years. And, uh, it's all been great. Um, but I keep coming back to like this moment of business creation mm. and really trying to help people give them just enough knowledge that they can succeed without trying to overwhelm them or bog them down with mm. complicated training. And, um, you know, the finance thing is, it's not really my core skill. Like I'm not a finance person. I'm not an accountant. I didn't come from wall street. Um, when I started my first business, uh, it was because I was a good programmer and the whole business grew from that. And, um, you know, I got really lucky. Like Things grew quickly. I was hiring people. I brought in a business partner. Things were going great. And then, um, the dot com crash hit. That's you know, I have the white hair, so I've been around a while.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the dot com crash hit, and then all of a sudden, you know, our healthy looking company, um, and I'll dip into the accounting for a second. Our income statement looked really healthy, but our cash flow suddenly dried up, right? And we didn't really have a buffer. And all of a sudden, we had to like lay people off, and uh, you know, the whole business. We ended up in debt. My business partner left, and I brought that business back from the the edge. Mm. But it was really like a defining moment in my um, evolution as an entrepreneur. First of all, I felt terrible because we had had to lay people off, Mm. uh, and I feel like when I'm hiring people, I want to make them a promise that, Mm. you know, I'll take care of them. Uh, And then, two, you know, we just didn't have, we hadn't really thought things through very well, and our business only worked when things were going well. And I was actually reading about uh, Bill Gates when he started Microsoft. He had this rule that they had to keep a year of cash in the bank at all times. So his thought process was, look, I've hired the smartest people on the planet. With a bunch of smart people and a year's worth of cash, no matter what happens to Microsoft, we'll be able to figure out some pivot, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's now the richest man in the world and I'm not, right? Uh, Or second richest or third richest or wherever he is today. I think Elon Musk is catching up. Um, but, uh, from that moment, you know, when I was rebuilding the company, I started figuring out the finance piece and I started, um, I actually started doing my own books. Like I'd been outsourcing to a bookkeeper and I said, look, I've, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do it myself. Hmm. I eventually went back to outsourcing to a bookkeeper, but that was actually something that really helped me understand enough accounting, um, to run the business properly. So we brought the business back from the brink. I brought in another business partner. We took the whole thing to the cloud. We ended up raising some venture capital. Uh, That whole second experience went much better. I actually built a bunch of the financial model that we used to raise our first $2 million. Uh, And then we ran the company off of that plan for the next year. So it wasn't just like a dog and pony show that we Mm -hmm. trotted out for the VCs. like It was a real plan that we had put together and we ran the business off of it. Uh, that company ended up getting acquired, which led me to okay how can i how can I give back and then, in running the accelerator programs and you know just seeing what entrepreneurs were tripping over, the finance thing just comes up over and over and over again mm-hmm. and so people started hiring me to build their financial models, which was totally cool uh, but I found that I was doing them a disservice because I would build this fancy financial model hand it to them, and they still wouldn't understand the numbers, so they still mm. couldn't run the business they still mm. couldn't. You know, when you're talking to an investor, that investor starts asking questions about the model, and you're like, I don't know. I got to get my financial model, dude. Um, yeah, and, and that's so the wrong why, answer. And that at that moment, that is wrong the wrong
1: answer. Absolute wrong answer. I don't know is not, not confidence inspiring.
0: There are some things it's okay not to know, but if mm. you're asking someone for a chunk of money, if you don't understand the financial plan, that's not, that does not inspire confidence. Mm. So, um, so I actually built the first version of Rocket Pro Forma probably five years ago as a tool for myself to give myself a running start when I was building these financial models, but then also to find some sort of middle ground where spreadsheets are full of lots of little boxes and it just confuses the heck out of people and it causes a lot of people's brains to shut down. But you need that, right? You still need the three financial statements. You need an income statement, a cash flow statement, and a balance sheet. And then you need a pitch deck slide. So what I built was an engine that creates those things for you. So it creates the three financial statements and the pitch deck slide for you. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you answer some questions that looks much more like a wizard. Like it looks m- much more like, um, mm. you know, a friendly piece of software. Mm. And so, and that allows you to project years of financials. And then the spreadsheet does all the heavy lifting for you on the back end. And so that ended up being, ended up working really well with the entrepreneurs I was working with because I could build something complicated, but then hand it to them and they would understand it and then they could start making their own changes. Fast forward to COVID hits, I've got this thing lying around, I've been meaning to do this for a while and I was like, this is the way I can help the most people. Yeah. So, you know, I productized it and turned it into a self-serve where people can just pick it up and run with it and I've recorded a bunch of video instruction. You know, there's a lot of me in there that you can tap into for help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is pretty amazing because you know, watching people go from not really understanding it, if you spend two hours and go through and answer all the questions, first of all, you have a, dra- a working draft of your financial model. And second of all, you've built the mental map. So it's much easier. Like now you at least know the whole landscape mm-hmm. and you know what, what questions to start asking.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. Um, little, little side story, um, to, to connect us. Uh, I'm, I'm very much the opposite, meaning I am an accountant, very much trained and have a degree in accountancy. Mm-hmm. Um, however, have been pulled into technology. So our paths were almost exactly the opposite. And, um, and it makes me a bit of a different CIO and CTO when I have those roles. Cause I'm, I'm asking about, you know, financial value, um you know in,
0: which in, in, is what you should be asking.
1: which is what you should yeah. but in, in technology land it seems to be so so rare i'm, I'm starting up very soon a um, a digital and technology strategy project for a, a fashion brand here in the netherlands and i've asked for five years of financials around all tech spend and they're like well why would you possibly want that i said well that's where we're starting and the outcome will be an investment plan not a technology plan they're like oh okay you know, and, and so it was, it was, yeah, but that's not what they're expecting. And the, no, right. I'm really fascinated. I would love to see your tool because the um, um, l- last little thing about me is there's a startup and residence program through the, the city of Amsterdam. Okay. Um, and they asked me to co- put up a, a basically a, an Excel model that is super, cool. super simple for these companies that are applying to actually mostly demonstrate that they have some financial acumen. And it was, mm-hmm. it was so hard to, to, so Try to make something meaningful and simple. Um, yes. So I, I think I'm just going to re- refer them to you know Rocket Performa as well and say, well, just do that um, yeah. because because uh, you know doing Excel and and anyone who uses Excel will change Excel and you know and then you have the integrity issues and and, and are you reading the same thing? And so who's the perfect user for Rocket Performa? Like who who's the person, the imaginary per, you know avatar or or whatever that you built this for? I th- there's two real personas. There's a first-time entrepreneur
0: who doesn't really understand the finance piece and doesn't really understand spreadsheets and needs to put together a plan, and that mm. works really well. Um, there's a second persona, which is someone who's maybe going through this a second time or has some spreadsheet expertise and could do it themselves but just wants a running start, Right. Mm because I've built something that handles most use cases and is pretty well thought out. So at this point, it's almost like a checklist um, with a bunch of wiring. You know, It handles subscription models, it handles inventory, you can layer different business models, and to try to build that yourself would just slow you down. Mm-hmm. I think it works best from idea stage through Series A. I think after Series A, companies tend to have much more financial knowledge and more more financial support, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone is in charge of their financial model But from that idea through to series A is is the, the sweet spot
1: Does that imply that it needs to be someone who's seeking funding? Well, or can so, use, or you can use this or could you use this just just to manage your business? Uh, you know, so so the short answer is you
0: can use it to manage your business yeah. if you're asking me or you're asking you as you just stated Both of us are going to start from the finance. I don't think most entrepreneurs do that. So Mm -hmm. the trigger that forces people who are coming at it from a product perspective is that they have to show a financial plan to someone. So -hmm. that tends to be when they're applying to an accelerator or going to investors for funding. In my perfect world, everyone would be using this to plan and run their business. But it's not my perfect world out there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, not yet, but I, I think you know. Right between us and perfect world is just a lot of people educating each other on on how things, and, and then we will all get right. better at it. So, um, really, really, um, I, I've been confronted by someone that I've been doing some coaching with who is starting a new business and and does not want to do the finances. So he wants to just hire a, a, a younger financial person, and um, I'm I, yeah, I'm, I'm still. Wrestling with how to respond to that. Um, yeah, that's
0: not the way a business person talks. Yeah. You know, like if if he wants to start a company, he's going to have to figure out the financial yeah. piece at some point.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's unavoidable. Um, right. And it's also, like
0: saying you want to ride a bike without learning how to pedal, <laughs> like you want someone else to do the pedaling, but you'll wear the helmet and the fancy jersey.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So no. That, so um, uh, how how do you charge for this? I guess, or or what is what is the the, the revenue model that you have that, uh, for people yeah, to describe?
0: I'm, I'm still testing this, and basically okay. I've made it super cheap to begin with for a couple of reasons. One, because everyone's you know a lot of people are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Um. So there's a self serve version, which at the moment costs forty four dollars, and you get the spreadsheet plus the education. I've also been doing sessions where I work with the entrepreneur. So I'll do like a 60-minute setup. We'll get on a call and I'll help them basically create a draft of, the, of their initial financial model. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those sessions, it really takes about 90 minutes to do this properly and get to a first draft with me driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that, I've been charging $99. Uh, but it's been great because I learned so much on those sessions. Like I'm definitely underpricing myself, but it's amazing customer validation. And the product has evolved so quickly from those conversations.
1: Yeah, I'd like to interrupt you right there. And just um, to anyone who's listening right now to have 90 minutes with Mike, clearly with his expertise and background for $99, press stop right now stop listening to this, go to rocket performa <laughs> and sign up for that right now. Cause that price will go up and that is, that will be an, an it's going up soon. <laughs> that will be an incredible opportunity. So just, just to have my feeling is just to have 90 minutes with Mike and talking about your business will already be, you know, payback many, many, many times of that. So, so press stop or pause, go sign up, <laughs> come back and start listening again. So, okay. So a- after they have signed up, so there's probably uh right bunch of people you know swiping credit cards right now. What right. what happens? So, yeah, I'm actually there,
0: watching them swipe credit cards right now. A partner see, like, just <laughs> sent out an email blast. So that's it's going by on the screen.
1: Ding, 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 <laughs> ding. Um, so the the um, so can you explain a little bit the journey? So they they if it's somebody who's probably a first time business owner, they might right. not even know the questions to ask, much less how to answer them. Correct. Um, they probably haven't even thought much about the business models, whether it's subscription or if it's one-time purchase or you know, how to deal with inventory and, and, and you know, how to deal with assets and things like that. Um, what's the process? Like, like how, how do you guide them through this and make, make this abstract thing in the beginning into something right, very right. tangible?
0: So uh, I've tried to set it up like a wizard that walks you through questions. Mm-hmm. And part of what happens is the questions adjust based on the business model you choose. Mm. So I have like a little engine at the beginning where you say like, I'm a marketplace or I'm a subscription business or I'm e-commerce or I'm going to be manufacturing something. And then the rest of the questions kind of adjust and certain things activate or deactivate to try to make it simpler. Mm -hmm. I've put in links everywhere I can think of to pop up little, you know, one minute or two minute videos of me explaining whatever the concept is or how Mm -hmm. to, think about whatever that thing is. Um, the number one piece of feedback I get from uh, pure beginners is I feel like I'm pulling numbers out of thin air. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was actually, this has been my, my, uh, the topic of a bunch of posts I've been doing on LinkedIn and on my blog this week. And I think that's natural and I think that's okay. I think the first time through, it's fine to pull numbers out of thin air and the goal is actually to go through all the questions so that you have the complete map in your head. Like you're building a mental map and that's more important the first time through than it is to get the numbers exactly right. Mm-hmm. P.S. You're not going to be able to get the numbers exactly right because you, don't, you won't know what the numbers are until you actually run the business, right? So you're going to be guessing any investor you're talking to knows you're making this up, but they want to know that you've gone through the thought process and that you can defend it. Yeah. So your first draft is going to be kind of a mess but it'll help you a ton uh, understanding what's happening. And just like you said, understanding, okay, I need a hiring plan. There is inventory, there is shipping, I need insurance, you know, like all of those things. And and if I'm gonna be selling products, somehow I have to bring those customers in, so here's what my, you know, I'm gonna have SEO, I'm gonna have paid ads, I might have, if I'm doing B2B, I might have a sales team out selling, my salespeople need a quota and I need to hire the salespeople. It doesn't mean you're going to get all that right. It just means like, okay, now the, the years are turning. Mm. So that's phase one is pulling numbers out of thin air and building the mental map. Phase two is doing some research. So what happens when people put together their, their finances, uh, their first financial projections is they tell a story, but it's a confused, it's a confused story because what they're projecting doesn't match up to what most most companies end up looking like in their industry when they really start running. So there are industry standards that you can look at, like you can look at the cost of goods sold percentages, uh, you know, the gross gross profit gross margin percentages uh, for specific companies or industries. For example, I was talking to a guy um, earlier this week who was projecting a ninety-eight percent gross margin for a software business. And I said, you know, look, one of the best run software businesses is salesforce.com. They have a 75% gross margin. You know, you're probably not putting yeah. enough things into your into your cost of goods sold. And so I can tell that because I've just done this a million times. Yeah. Uh, but there's a second phase of like doing the research. So Googling, like I provide links mm. to people. Uh, talking to mentors, you know, if they're working with an accelerator or working with you or working with me, like we can kind of guide them according to their stage and business. But I do think you have to start to converge, like record performance is a three-year projection. And I think you have to converge by year three, it's got to start to be in the neighborhood of of your industry or, you know, salesforce.com or whatever you're using as your model. You still haven't done any actual like you just don't have any actual data, but at least now you've dialed it in in that second pass. So the third, the third stage is when you actually start running parts of the business. And so then you start learning what, it, what are my real numbers, right? Um, and usually the expenses start running first because the expenses are real and the revenue is imaginary until you get mm. customers. Then you start running uh, the customer piece. And, the, you know, I think where people run into the, the real world is on the customer acquisition side. Like, just because you throw a bunch of money at advertising doesn't mean a bunch of customers are going to show up, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to work through that to really understand the metrics. But as you get that information, you can start plugging that into the model. And then I think, so that's the third stage is having some real data. And then the fourth stage is mastery, right? So if you really build a successful business, you're going to get better at predicting. You're going to have better data you're gonna hire people who are great at their jobs and are also good at predicting and, have, and can help you find better data. And as a group, you will just get b- much better at, at doing this, but you'll never get it exactly right. I mean, we're all homebound all of a sudden and none of us can go outside. Like you can't ever plan exactly what's gonna happen in the future, but you just get better and better over time. And I think I, when you go to raise yeah. money, sorry, one more thing. I think yeah. when you go to raise money, you have to be at, at least stage two which is you've gone beyond pulling numbers out of thin air into something that is at least researched and that you can explain why. And I think investors, you know, really want to see you at stage three where you run some stuff through the business and your numbers reflect your actual reality. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. I'm done.
1: I love it. Well, it, it, it. It makes sense, and it's actually very similar to, uh, to how I bring people through the simplicity scan. And the, the end goal of the simplicity scan is 15 statements that represent a business, sort of the, the prime aspects of, of, of a business. And when they're starting, I, I, I do basically the same thing. The, 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 I have them look at and do a quick sketch through the scan, just just to get a feel for it, that mental map. And then I say, put the scan away, and then in, in a notebook um, or some other document, write multiple times and go through multiple iterations, Realizing that stuff doesn't make sense and doesn't add up. You know, so if you talk about about well, who's your customer, well write down as many ideas you have on who your customer is later, you're going to simplify it. But, and then, uh, and then the next step is is actually to consolidate that down into the 15 steps. And then you call it mastery. I like your word better than mine. I just call it repeat, <laughs> you know, basically do it again. And, um, and, uh, cause that's more of the, you know, living with it. I'm curious. Um, when when people are venture building and and they're building this this financial model, wh- what do you recommend to people to actually validate with customers up front? Because you said I love how you said that the the, the profit or the revenue is imaginary because the customers haven't come yet. Um, yeah. How how and you know in your expertise can you de-risk that? Um,
0: I, I think you have to start charging customers as soon as possible. So I think there's there are a few mistakes mm. here, and I think the symptom is when someone shows up and says. I need to raise money because i put $300,000 into the product. And then I start asking, you know, well, what are your customers like? And they're like, we don't have any customers. But we've built this amazing product. So mm-hmm. you have essentially wasted a giant chunk of whatever money you put into that product because the yep. customer needs to be part of the design process yep. in order for that product to be successful. P.S. See, magically, if you want to see what happens when you do uh, <laughs> super stealth mode, $2.6 mm-hmm. $2. billion with a B and they just self-destructed because they were trying to do yeah. stealth mode and never built anything anyone wanted to use.
1: So it must've been really fun for them though.
0: It must've been really, they were spending like 50 million a month on.
1: And you cannot not whatever. have fun at 50 million a month. So I'm just saying, you know, it that's depends, right. on, it depends on your right. measure of success. <laughs>
0: yes, that's fair. Um, and I, I think, so the customers need to be just part of the design process. So that's one thing. So as soon as, as soon as possible, get customers in. And a lot of the advice that you hear when you're doing a startup is, you know, have a product that's not fully finished and get people in to look at it. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of entrepreneurs push back on that because it's their baby, they want it to be perfect. It cannot approach perfection without designing around the customer. Mm -hmm. And there are two really good books that I've read. One is called Sprint. Uh, It's by Mm -hmm. a guy named Jake Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. It's the Google Design Sprint process. Yep. And it's Love out it. of Google Ventures. Yep. Yeah, great. And you don't have to build anything, right? It's like prototypes and then interviews. And you don't have to do five interviews and you learn a ton. You learn all the things about why your beautiful buttons aren't easy to use. Um, actually, it's really funny with EXO, we did a whole thing where we launched with the discount code and like, all these super smart people around the world couldn't figure out how to use the discount code. Like, yeah. that is the reality of of user experience, is they don't understand anything you're talking about. Uh, and then two, there's another book called The Write It by Alberto Savoia.
1: I've got that laying around here somewhere, yeah. I think yeah. it's done by my he,
0: he takes it even hmm. earlier uh, and he says, look, all you need is really a napkin sketch and an idea, but, the key thing is getting people to put some skin in the game. So how yeah. early can you get them to give you their email address? And even better, how early can you get them to give you money? right? Because you're not really designing the business until you have some money flowing through. And I think, I, I'm, I may not be in the consensus about this, but when I'm working with startups and they tell me they're working with a bunch of free customers and designing around the needs of those free customers as a beta, I'm like, those aren't customers. Like You're designing around people who don't want to pay you which is fine, but that doesn't mean that when you suddenly start charging money, those people are going to pay you. You may have built features that a paying customer doesn't want and doesn't drive them to pay. You're much better off finding paying customers first and then building around building around them. I'm, so, I'm, I'm
1: about to start crying right now because <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you're reminding me of just some spectacular fuckups I've contributed to in good. my in my past and um, <laughs> yeah. and I'm delighted that you're saying it because I'm I I am just you know championing this every, every moment you know uh, validate with your real customers get money before you yeah. who pay before you build or invest and and it's and it's I don't know if people can hear it unless they've been burned um,
0: I don't think they can yeah. I I I had this conversation a lot
1: Yeah
0: uh yeah, people don't want to listen until they're ready to listen. And that mm-hmm. usually takes some trigger, which is unfortunately not a fun trigger. Like it took me having to lay off a bunch of great people that I had hired to be like, oh, I should learn finance to run a business, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So guilty.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we all are. And it's, it's learning. But, you know, I I, yeah. I, I, I pray that uh, some people are listening to this and, and are taking some inspiration from this. Um,
0: So, actually, the one thing I will say is that with Rocket Proforma, as quickly as I could, I got up the self-serve version and the sessions. And the sessions are me getting paid to do the customer validation. The self-serve proves that people will buy it, but I don't necessarily have a front row seat to how they interact with the product. But with the sessions, when I sit with them for 60 to 90 minutes, and I hear their questions... And I'm trying to use my own product to quickly solve their problem. Man, that, you know, I'm getting paid to improve my product and Mm. build something that better suits the customer. So that's been my strategy.
1: What do you mean you don't have a front row seat with how they're using your product?
0: Uh, Because at the moment, so this is true MVP, true MVP style. uh, Rocket Performance is a spreadsheet. So it exists as a Google Sheet. So I don't get. Like if, if I hand you a copy of the Google Sheet, you make a copy and I can't see what you're doing unless you come back to me and share your copy with me. So sometimes that happens and people yeah. have built some amazing stuff, but it's not, I haven't built any software yet um, because I want to prove the market before I start building the software. The, so that's uh, another trick. Keep the expenses low so that you can understand the customer and then build the tech around the customer. Yeah.
1: going into <laughs> But it costs me some data. Yeah, going into solution mode slightly. It sounds like if uh, you've ever heard of Airtable and Hotjar?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Do that. So if you if you build this spreadsheet in yeah. Airtable and have it as a web front end and then put Hotjar on it so that you can watch the interaction. I don't know, just an idea. But um Yes.
0: I don't think Airtable can do what I'm doing in Google Sheets. The last time I looked at Airtable, it wasn't capable enough. That doesn't mean there's a whole separate conversation. Um there's also a way to slap a front end on a Google spreadsheet. So the Google spreadsheet still exists, mm-hmm. but you build an app on top of it. Um, so there are options. I'm just, I haven't pulled the trigger on doing any of that.
1: No, fun, fun. And um, question, H- have you put Rocket Proforma, Pro, Rocket Proforma through Rocket Proforma? Meaning, are you, are you eating your own dog food here? <laughs> so, no, I haven't. Uh, ah, I keep meaning to do that. I did build a pitch deck. Okay. Uh, yeah, I,
0: the answer should be yes. And I keep being like, Oh, I should run it through rocket pro forma. I have not, I've built financial models for a ton of other people. Uh, and I keep, that keeps being on my to do list, but you are reminding me that I need to do it sooner rather than later.
1: Well, it's so hard, you know, and, and they say that whatever the cobbler's kids don't have the shoes and stuff, but it, it's, um, right. Um, I, I try to hold myself accountable and use the simplicity scan on myself now and again. Yep. And, um, yep. and it's helpful. Not, not only is it helpful to force my own thinking about the business, but also um, just to reflect on, you know, usability and ease of use and, you know, sort of, sort of go in it after, you know, every once in a while. Have you talked to
0: Tony Saldana yet? Have you come across him in the the EXO world? Nope. Okay. So Tony Saldana was the CIO of Gillette and he was at PNG for 23 years or something.
1: Yeah.
0: He hired Salim and uh, asked Salim to come speak. And the sprint process that OpenEXO and EXO run actually came sort of from Tony. Oh, wow. And Francisco and Salim co-opted it. Right. Sort of. Uh, what Tony built at PNG was he got permission to build an innovation team that was focused on core initiatives. So they would improve the efficiency of existing um, uh, processes. And it was all back office stuff. So it was payroll, accounting, logistics, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave himself a couple superpowers. One is he was able to go and ask a division. He could submit a list of like four or five people that he wanted for his team. And they had to give him one. Uh, And he would only pick people who were super connected in that division. So he would get someone on his team for a year or two who could then liaise with whatever the division was. Then he would go to the division head and say, what are your biggest problems? And then he would come back and iterate with the team and try and figure out how to solve them. He would only do projects that had a 10 X opportunity, either in revenue cost savings or, um, customer satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, put this thing together that basically built oh and then he did some smart stuff around development so he got uh the superpower of being able to onboard small developers and startups uh without having to go through the full legal Mm -hmm. process and uh so he would go out to the vcs and say look we're thinking about doing this give me some building block companies that are your startups he would take those startups and plug it in to build like a working pilot, and then he was like ruthless about the pilots. So if the pilot was working, cool. If not, he would just axe it. And he just made sure that he had enough ideas going that he could keep the pipeline full. And uh, and if something was looking like it was working out, he would pull it into one of their actual IT partners. But even then, he wouldn't. He would try not to pay the IT partner to build it. He would say, "Look, if you build this, you can test it." Through um, PNG, you can list PNG as a customer. We will pay you once it's working, but we're not going to pay you to develop it. And PS, we're going to license you the IP, so you can turn around and sell it to someone who's not um, who's not one of our competitors. But we'll get a license fee back. So in some instances, he turned some of these uh, IT backend functions into revenue generators. And in three years, he did like 25 working pilots. Uh, and ended up building like generating like four hundred million dollars worth of value uh, and it was only really just taking off like he he retired and then brought someone else in to run the business but um, he 's pretty amazing to talk to, and one of his secrets was exactly what you said. He started every project with a finance person, so he made sure that the numbers made sense, and then he was constantly communicating the value of the portfolio to management and saying, "Look." it looks like we're not doing anything here, but really in three years, you're going to have you know, $400 million of value. In five years, it's going to be a billion in value. And like he was able to do this whole thing inside P&G and he located it inside the mothership. So he, he did it in Cincinnati. Because if you talk to him, he's like, what I needed to do was change the culture more than come up with cool ideas. And so I had to be in Cincinnati in order to, achieve that he wrote a book called why digital transformations fail that came out. Um,
1: I have read that one last year. I have read that one. Yeah.
0: yeah. so He's the author of that. Yeah. Okay. So, and he's around and he's a friend of the XO. Hmm. So he's, uh, Oh well, yeah. Be cool. Great. If he'd come on your podcast, cause you and he would totally. No, I love off.
1: it. I, I wrote it down. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll reach out to him. Outstanding. So, um, we are, we are wrapping up, running out of time. I've really enjoyed this. I, 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 I've never done this on one of these podcasts before, but I'm, I'm now actually demanding people if they are running a business <laughs> to press pause, go to Rocket Proforma, put their credit card in. Um, just because I, my belief is having, you know, 90 minutes with Mike will be, will, will more than pay itself back on, on accelerating your initiative. Um, delight. I want to go play with it as well. Uh, ha- having built, you know, something purely on, on, a on, copy. A, on Excel in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, in a, in a trying to make it simple way it's it's really hard and if there's the helper videos and things to help people with the concepts even better it must have taken you a long time so it's, it's clearly a, a project it's of passion it's taken me years <laughs> yeah exactly it's um it's beautiful to see in here so and i i will put in the sprint book and the write it book in the, in the show notes um also mm-hmm. put a link for everyone to open EXO, the the uh you know the global community of, of exponential thinkers and doers, which. Mike is a part of, and that's how we've, how we've uh, come in contact and met up. Um, if you go to rocketproformer.com, you can find it. And also Mike Lingle on LinkedIn. Um, I'll put both of those links in, in the show notes as well. So uh, Mike, thank you so much for, for joining. I found this d- just delightful to hear how, how you solve these problems. So um, thank you so much for joining. And, and, I, and I look forward to uh, yeah, chatting with you uh, at the next opportunity at OpenEXO or, or, or at some other moment. Thanks so
0: much. Learn more at boolean.com slash podcast.